The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, amino acids. <laughs> I do not sound yes, like you that. Do. Yes, you do. It's not what I sound like. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Changed it up. Confused you a little bit there. Yeah, it threw me off for sure. <laughs> I, I think we need to restart the episode, maybe. Yeah, because I think you said porpoises in the disclaimer. Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How goes it today? It's going great. Welcome to the Lab Report. Welcome, one and all, to mm. this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and today, Protein and amino acids. That's right. And if you are new to this podcast, welcome. Welcome. And if you're returning, thank you. Hey, good to see you. And you should probably go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe, rate, review, download, all of those things. That Do we say those every time. things. That would really help us out. And uh-huh. if you have more feedback to give, you can always send that to podcast at gdx.net. That's the email that you can reach us. You can submit your questions of the day mm-hmm. uh, or just uh, your feelings, your general feelings. Yeah, those emails are fun to read. I love them. You know, Patty, it's been a while since we heard from Oliver. I oh. think, you know, he's got a few things to say, I, I believe. And and for those who might not be familiar, mm-hmm. maybe it's one of your first times listening to Oliver, Is uh, he works for Genova Diagnostics. He works for Genova Europe, actually, right. uh, over in, in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had him on for a little bit, and he gave us some really nice comments. Uh, and, you know, maybe right now he's wondering something like, Chappers, what are we talking about today? <laughs> right, exactly. Or like, what? Are you on about? Maybe why are you even talking about this? And, uh, you know, occasionally he'll say something like... That doesn't make any sense. Right. So, with respect to his first question... Chappers, what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about protein, and more specifically, amino acids. Ah, okay. That's uh, that's a good topic. And there's actually, interestingly, a lot of debate out there Mm -hmm. around protein these days. There is. So, um, let's let's get into it. And, And as you said... You can't talk about protein without talking about amino acids, right? That's right. And, you know, we talked in several episodes about the macronutrients of our diet, things like proteins and fats and carbohydrates. And so if we're going to zero in on protein, let's talk about how protein is actually made up of amino acids. Yeah, that at the end of the day is what we're really looking for out of protein, right? Mm -hmm. Where our body takes the protein from our diet, which can come from plant foods or animal products. Mm-hmm. Um, just about everything is going to have, just about any food product is going to have some protein in it. And protein is then digested by your GI tract and broken down into, and it releases these individual amino acids. Mm-hmm. And then amino acids can be used in so many different processes in your body, but they can also link together using these little things called peptide bonds. Yeah. So it's like Legos. It is. Here we go, oh, right? Oh, another Michael so you, Chapman metaphor. You've got this big structure mm-hmm. that you're, you don't eat Legos, but I mean, just to <laughs> go with me here for a second, maybe this isn't... This Although is we don't know you very well. But. <laughs> but your body breaks these down into the little individual building blocks, 
so that it can then build other things right. out of these little building blocks. And so that's kind of what happening is what is happening when it comes to protein and amino acids. Right. And so when you link a few amino acids together, they're called peptides. And so there can be like 2, 10, 100. So it's an amino acid, then a dipeptide, oligopeptide, polypeptide. Yeah, yeah. And you were just talking about bigger and bigger structures, right? So mm -hmm. you've got a peptide, like you said, two peptides is a dipeptide. Mm -hmm. Oligopeptide has several peptides. And then put all that together, and essentially you've got a protein. Right. And, you know, I never actually thought about this until you and I were discussing this, that what's the difference between a peptide, like a polypeptide, and a protein? Because isn't a protein really just stringing together amino right, acids? Right, right. And I don't know the answer to this. Ultimately, I tend to think of protein being a little bit of a loose term mm -hmm. so that, like, you know, peptides, dipeptides are proteins, are a form of protein. I don't know if there's any sort of, like, scientific distinction. Uh, maybe that's something we could Google. Yeah, let's Google it. Oh, man. I'm excited to find out this answer. It's taking a minute. Yeah, that's a lot of typing you have over there. I mean, protein is seven letters. Yeah, even though protein's only seven letters, as is peptide, mm -hmm. there's all the other words around it, like what's the difference between etc. Oh, okay. And that as, makes sense. as it turns out, you are correct. It's a fairly loose term because oh. there's a lot of debate about exactly what constitutes a protein, but I think people reserve the word protein for the really, really long chains of amino acids. Like some people say 50, some people say 100, but either way, I think in the end of the day, it's usually a whole lot of amino acids strung together that make a protein. And at the end of the day, I was right. You're the best, Michael Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's go here. Mm -hmm. We know, we just uncovered that amino acids are the backbone of protein. Right. And one of the big reasons why we should be eating protein is to deliver amino acids to our body. Correct. How much protein? Well, you mentioned earlier that protein is in just about all of our food, right? Yeah, that's why they're called macronutrients, because there's carbs, fat, and protein mm -hmm. in certain different percentages mm -hmm. in just about all foods. Right. But this is also up for some debate in I'm going to say it depends, because I know you love that answer in functional medicine. It depends. Because if you go by, like, the recommended daily intake, uh -huh. you know, by the USDA, they often say things like 0 0.8 grams per kilogram. Uh, 0 0.8 grams per kilogram. I've heard that number before. Okay, but... That's really just to maintain, you know, normal bodily functions. And it doesn't take into account the fact that some people have illnesses that increase their protein demand or they exercise. Clearly, you're going to move through the day. So yeah. you're going to probably need more than that. Yeah, sure. Everyone's metabolic demand is going to be different. And especially uh, I, I'm assuming the, the different amount of muscle mass that you have is mm -hmm. going to change yeah. how much protein that you need. So. There's a little bit of arbitrariness to this 0.8 number. Where'd the 0.8 come from? Do we know? USDA. Okay. I think it's just to prevent nitrogen loss. It's, it's like the RDA. Basically, basic, yeah. It's the RDA. Yeah. And, and so if we accept that, which there's some debate out there, whether we should accept that, right. um, then I don't know kilograms. So <laughs> A kilogram? So that's that's a little bit unhelpful. So let's just say if somebody is 170-some pounds. Okay. Uh, how many grams does that translate to? Hmm. Well, I don't have a calculator. 
But if I take, let's say, 175. Do I need to play the music again? That's probably like 80 kilograms. And then 80 kilograms times 0.8. That's probably like 64 grams. Wow, that worked out well. Nice work, sir. Okay, so 64 grams. That's quite a bit, actually, it seems. And that's just a baseline. That's not even taking into account your metabolic rate. And that's like a low-end cut point. Like right. you, you might need quite a bit more than that. You probably don't want less than that okay. is what you're saying. So right. let's go through and, and maybe talk about this a little bit because I think at the end of the day as a clinician, one of the biggest things I'm trying to assess for is, is somebody getting adequate protein in their diet. Mm-hmm. And so, sure, there's going to be a few people out there where I'm like, well, you might be over-consuming protein or you know, is this burdening your liver, kidneys, something like that. But m- many more people I'm going to be concerned about protein deficiency oh, in yeah. their diet. Far more common than you realize because to your bigger point, how do you translate 64 grams to food? Right. 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 So let's, let's talk about, let's start with the easy things like our animal skeletal muscle, our meats. Yeah. And I would say animal protein in general will often have a lot more protein than plants. Of course. But of course, higher density right. and we'll get into this later, but higher availability, higher bioavailability of that that protein as well. So something like a chicken breast, mm-hmm. right? So that's easy to visualize. How mm-hmm. much protein is in like a chicken breast? Approximately 40. 40 grams of protein. Uh-huh. So that's that's pretty good. Fra- fairly good. I mean, a chicken breast is pretty, pretty. that's a lot of, that's a lot of meat. It but is, yeah. What about an egg? Well, an egg is not as much. Okay. Usually like six. Okay. So if you had like a chicken breast and two eggs for breakfast. Oh, yeah. You're getting close. You're getting close to what you need for your day, but that's. It's still not there. Yeah, and now you got to fill baseline, in. Right, right. you got to fill in with other stuff. So you can start to see where even people who are having meat in their diet, like you're, yeah. are you getting that every single day? Are you eating that every single day? So it's, it's a big question mark, and so that leads to the next question of like, what if you're not eating animal foods? Right. Then, yeah, where what sort of proteins are we looking for here? And we were talking about how animal meats are far more nutrient dense with protein, but there's protein in plants, Yes, right? And so you think about a vegetarian or vegan diet, what's the most common thing they eat is soy. Soy. Or tofu. Tofu. Yeah. Like firm tofu is probably going to be highest Mm -hmm. in protein content. Um, And so that, that would be a good staple. How much is in tofu as compared to the chicken breast? Well, like a cup of tofu yeah. has 20 grams of protein. So not as much. It's not bad. Yeah. So a cup is about half of a chicken breast. Okay. So, um, but not bad. Right. But you're still talking about eating tofu every single day. Um, and maybe, you know, that's something that vegetarians are, or maybe they aren't doing. If you're not eating tofu, I think you start running into some risks because a lot of the other foods are going to be much lower in protein as compared to, as compared to the, the tofu. Um, I think second on the list is like lentils right, beans, um, and yeah. then your then falls your dairy. Uh, so then again, say what you will about dairy and whether you have any particular food issues, some sensitivities, some allergies right. to dairy, stuff like that. Um, but those are your big sources of protein when it comes to uh, a vegetarian or, or vegan diet. You're, you lose the dairy as well. So, And I think the bigger point is that you really have to pay attention because a lot of us aren't getting enough protein. And it's not only what we're eating and the amounts, there are other factors. And you brought up digestibility earlier. Yeah. So this is a whole other factor where the there's what's called the, the 
PDCAS score, mm-hmm. and this helps to determine the digestibility, meaning how accessible that protein is to your body. Can you actually break down the protein and get the amino acids out of it? And it turns out that animal sources of protein are have a much higher score compared to a lot of vegetable sources of protein. Uh, things like wheat have a really low score, meaning the protein that's in them is really not bioavailable. It's not accessible to any like major degree. So that's, um, that's something to take into consideration also. And the other piece of that is how you prepare them. Yeah. Right. So sometimes in the preparation, you can either increase or decrease that digestibility. Right. And the other piece of that PDCAS score is that they're looking at how many amino acids are in in any one source of protein. The balance of the amino acids. They are. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors to take into consideration. Yeah. And so we're agreeing now that maybe not everyone's getting as much protein as they need. Yeah, it's one of the reasons clinically that I'll sometimes, especially if somebody is complaining about fatigue and I'm, right. I'm questioning their diet in any sort of way, I'll immediately do a protein diary, have them track their grams of protein that they ate throughout the course of one day for, say, like a week or two. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't tell you how often I've seen that come back under what we want. Correct. You know, So that's a, that's a big thing. Correct. And, and it really comes down to that point that we started this with is when you eat protein, it digests and breaks down into these amino acids. And if you can consider all the places amino acids are needed, it's the building blocks of everything Absolutely. in our body. So they feed the Krebs cycle for energy. They form structures right. like your muscle, uh, like skin, hair, nails, right. cartilage. Um, they're, they're the structural component of that. Right. They're also precursors for neurotransmitters. And so you think about all these mood disorders and how much of this is protein and amino acid deficiency? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And uh, I think that segues right into us talking more about the individual amino acids a little bit. So let's just start with a broad topic of there are... 20 amino acids. And some might say there are secret amino acids, 21 and 22. Yeah, it's true. Now you're making stuff up. Nope, that's truth. That's according to Wikipedia. Let's let's get into that. The source of all truth. (laughs) But to break that down further, we know that there are two different kinds. There's essential. Yes. And then there's non-essential. And what do we mean by those terms, Michael Chapman? When we're talking about essential amino acids, these are amino acids that you can only get through your diet. They have to be obtained through your diet. You can't make them. Your body can't synthesize them. So they're, it's entirely dependent upon your diet to make sure that you're getting these. Non-essential, on the flip side, are things that your body can make. And oftentimes they are made from the essential amino acids or maybe these sort of protein intermediates. Uh, but uh, that's the difference between the essentials and the non-essential amino acids. It's kind of similar to the fatty acids where there's a right, couple right, essential right. fatty acids and the rest your body can synthesize. Right. And sometimes people further break that, that down into things like conditional amino acids, which are in higher demand and, and made and used only under certain conditions like various illnesses, et cetera, or various stressors yeah. on the body. Yeah. Thing, uh, amino acids that can be made, but there's a question mark as like, does the body regularly make them to an ad- adequate level? Okay. So we know that there's a whole slew of varying amino acids and I'm not sure we can cover every single one of them on this show. It would be a really, acids. really long episode. It would be. And to tell hmm. you the truth, there's some amino acids out there that what? 
they're just not as exciting as the others. I'm sorry, <laughs> You're guys. You're alienating other amino I'm so- acids. Look, I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> telling it how it is, and I'm just saying, wow. proline, step your game up. Wow. Some really strong feelings about amino acids. I mean, that's actually not true. Proline's important. Proline is really important to cartilage. cartilage. <laughs> yeah. How <laughs> so, dare you, sir? Maybe I should have picked a different one. Well, I think this might Glutamic be... Glutamic acid. I'm, right. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Aspartic acid, Aspartic acid. Yeah. yeah. That being said, remember when we did this with minerals and we went around to the team and just kind of called them off the cuff and asked them what their favorite uh, mineral was? We can probably do that with amino acids. I love that. I think that's a great idea. We haven't done that for a while. We haven't talked to the team members. Yeah. Do you think we should warn them? No. Oh. As you know, we talk on the phone all day long to clinicians, and so it's not uncommon for us to have a lot of information at the ready. So let's surprise them. I guess that's why we call it off the cuff. That's right. Okay, who are we going to call first? Why don't we call Dr. Lenore Powell. Love it. Naturopathic genius. Yep, love let's it. Let's call her. Okay. Hello, Lenore. Hi, Lenore. Michael and Patty from The Lab Report. Hello, hello. How are y'all doing today? We're great. Doing great. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you. Well, thanks for letting us bother you (laughs) and interrupt your day. Question. (laughs) Uh, We're going around asking team members about, we're talking about amino acids. So I was wondering, do you have a favorite amino acid? And why? The answer is no. I do not have one (gasps) favorite amino acid. I actually like three amino acids. Whoa. I'm actually going to have to... (laughs) I'm going to have to vote for the branch chain amino acids uh, as being a prior athlete. Those have to be my favorite aminos just with the several benefits that we have seen in literature regarding muscles and the growth of muscles and decreasing the soreness of muscles and reducing exercise fatigue and muscle wasting. Um, the three branch chain amino acids have to be my favorite. And those would be things like leucine, isoleucine, and valine. I love and, that. Yeah, there's like a lot of places where you can get it from. Um, so what I love is that you can get it from animal products, but you can also get it from plant sources like nuts and seeds. Ah. And so when we look at testing and things like that, if I ever see that somebody is deficient in branched amino acids, it's either because they exercise a lot, mm. which is fine, uh, nothing right. wrong with it, but mm-hmm. you have to replace it. Yeah. Um, because it's used, again, for helping to really uh, help build muscles. Yeah. But also I see it deficient in people who have digestive issues. Yeah. Because, again, if it's coming from animal products and nuts and seeds, usually vegan vegetarians aren't low in these three amino acids in my experience. So mm-hmm. it's usually kind of like I exercise a lot and I'm using a lot of it. Or it could also be that your patient has digestive issues. But those tend to be those three amino acids that I really like. I mean, they say that it can account for like 35% of your um, proteins that's needed for your muscles. So they are quite important, especially when it comes to just athletics and having that really nice, defined muscular tone and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, a lot of athletes actually just supplement with branch chain yeah, amino acids. just by themselves. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And the other thing I think exactly. about with branched chain amino acids is that clinically when they're elevated, that's been associated with other metabolic concerns. So you get a, a totally different window when they're high. So they really can be a great clinical tool to see whether somebody needs additional support or whether there might be some metabolic issues. Perfect. Exactly. And that's why, again, when we look at testing and when I start to see that the metabolites of your branched chain amino acids and organic acid testing, when those are high, mm-hmm. Uh, like your alpha-keto acids, 
sometimes I like to ask about, well, when's the last time you got a fasting insulin or fasting glucose level for your patients? Because sometimes that's one of the things that it might kind of start to hint us toward when we have some of those metabolites on the higher side. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, can I let you guys in on a really quick secret? Yeah. So with athletes, uh, they say it's really important the branch chain amino acids for muscle muscle growth and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But did you know they actually work in synergy better for making muscle than just like with other proteins than just taking the branch chains alone? Hmm. Uh, so in essence, eating like the, a, a good protein rich diet, whey protein isolate, yeah, something right. like that. That's well balanced. Right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So just taking the branch chain amino acids doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have higher muscle growth, you right, know? Right, right. So just taking them with other amino acids can be, you know, that's probably the best option that you have if you really want to have that beautiful muscle definition look. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Lenore, as always, you're just a wealth of amazing information. So thank yeah, you so much for talking to us about the branch chain amino acids and spending your time with us. Thank you, Lenore. Absolutely. Yeah. Y'all have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. Thanks, girl. All right. So that was a bunch of amazing information from Lenore. That was fantastic. So As always. I know, right? Well, as always. Well, the whole team is amazing. So who should yeah. we call next for more great information? I think we should call Dr. Stephen Goldman. Uh-huh. Let's Doctor do it. of chiropractic medicine. That's right. And just uh, general genius as well. Get him. Hello. Hi, Steve Goldman here. Hi, it's Patty and Michael from the podcast. Dr. Goldman, how are you? Oh, my goodness, it's the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you're a surprise. You're such an amazing recurrent character on our show. But today we're actually doing a podcast episode on amino acids. And we thought it might be fun just to do off the cuff and call the team members and see. You know, what's your favorite amino acid? I know we're all different. So so maybe we all have different favorite amino acids. Well, first of all, what does it say about us that we actually have favorite amino acids? <laughs> it says I just, a lot. We're I can't awesome. think of another group that would, would answer that question without <laughs> like a puzzled look on their faces. But <laughs> we are what we are. Right. We are <laughs> so if you're asking me that question, I have a real affinity for tyrosine. Hmm, good one. I love tyrosine. You know, tyrosine actually, it, it's kind of cheesy. It's from cheese. And tyro actually is Greek for cheese. So I didn't know that. how can you love that? I didn't know that. And, I didn't know that either. Yes. And the thing about tyrosine, tyrosine reminds me of my days in Little League when I was a utility infielder. And I love utility infielders because they do all the little things to help everybody else really shine. And tyrosine like that. Hmm. Because, you know, tyrosine, is, is, it comes from phenylalanine. So mm-hmm. You've got to actually help it along uh, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And it's really responsible for a few things. Number one, um, it, it does get iodine. The thyroid gives it iodine, and four of those around tyrosine make thyroxin. Huh. Yeah. So right away, I mean, you're making thyroxin, right. and, you know, the thyroid is pretty particular, mm-hmm. so that it would give its iodine to this guy. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as, a, as an infielder, utility infielder, it's actually going to give it away. It's going to take those four iodines and just Get rid of one right away and make T3, which is an even stronger. It's like a double uh, play. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you gotta love that. And if things get out of control, it'll lose another one and make a T2 and inactivate it. So it's always ready to sacrifice for the team. And 
it makes catecholamines. You know, yeah. tyrosine makes dopamine yep. and makes epinephrine and norepinephrine. So it really helps you feel better. Uh, you know, people who take tyrosine, uh, very often it helps with stress load. Uh, it helps with norepinephrine production that really keeps stress lower. So you know, it's helping you make thyroxine, T3. It's making you know, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine. And it's cheesy. You got to love that. <laughs> Excellent. That answer. is excellent. Well, Superb let, as always. Well, let me ask you this, Stephen. What position did you play in Little League? I, as a left hander, uh, played a lot of first base and some center field. Got it. Got it. Got it. And my favorite player just passed Lou Brock. So a shout out to Lou Brock <laughs> from the St. Louis Cardinals, one of the all time greats. Awesome. Perfect. And a shout out to Tyrosine. So thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much for letting us use and oh. use your time. Always a pleasure. And remember, stay off my lawn. <laughs> Bye now. Bye, Stephen. Well, that was uh, that was excellent. As it's always. always excellent. Stephen's the best. Stay off my lawn. <laughs> um, so who should we uh, who should we contact next? Well, there's an old friend of the show that we haven't spoken to in quite a while, Dr. Christine Stuby, yes. the queen of all things poop and bugs. Dr. Stuby. I wonder if she's going to have an opinion on amino acids. Oh, I think she will. Yeah. Knowing Stubby, I think I think we all really? have opinions on it. Yeah, asses. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Let's let's try calling her. Hello. Hi, Christine. Doctor Stubby, it's Michael and Patty from the Lab Report. Oh, I love hearing from you guys. Oh, uh, well, we love hearing <laughs> from you we're too. We're getting ready to have fun. That's, That's right. right. And we're about to ask a question that we've uh, we've gone around and talked to Lenore and Stephen so far. We've asked them this question. Hopefully that uh, you'll, you'll have a great answer for this. She will, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, Come I'm on. Sure. So the question is, do you have a favorite amino acid and mm. why? Ooh. Yes. In fact, I do have a favorite amino acid. Wow. Which one? It's tryptophan. Tryptophan. Nice. Aw, phenol rings. I understand. You know, everyone has heard of this one because it's in Turkey and we think about Thanksgiving. Yeah. Someone says tryptophan. That's right. Yep. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it makes everybody sleepy. Well, why do you like it? Tell us about it. I like it because it goes on to form the neurotransmitter serotonin. Mm-hmm. And ah. serotonin it has to do with our mood and basically well-being and happiness and positive mood so who wouldn't want an amino acid to make serotonin yeah yeah for sure that's happy and the other thing is you know it it then further goes on to make melatonin which Mm -hmm. is why we think about it as far as making people sleepy when you have high amounts of tryptophan so you're right that's a good one christine you picked a good one yeah thank you And thank you for indulging our conversation where we're asking people about amino acids. It's a little specific, I know. Right. Anytime. Right. You're the best, Christine. And take care now. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, the other thing about tryptophan hmm. is that it can also go down a different pathway called the kynurenine pathway. Yes, it can. And that ultimately creates NAD, which, as we all know, NAD is like super important for so many different processes in the body that balance yeah. between NAD and ADH is like, it's uh, what's looked at in a lot of longevity aspects relates to antioxidant status. It's really important. So Yeah, and I think about when we talked about organic acids, we talked about the kynurine pathway and mm-hmm. quinolinic acid and inflammation. So you're right. That's a good one. Yeah. 
Okay. What, what's your favorite, Michael? My favorite amino hmm. acid is actually the most simple, the most basic. What? The bare bones glycine. Good one. Glycine is this really important amino acid that plays a role in so many different pathways. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It tends to be a little bit of a balancer with serine, so it tends to have this relationship where it swaps methyl groups. It's also used in detoxification um, with glycination. Mm. Um, So that's critically important. Actually, the GNMT is a detoxification pathway as well. So that's really interesting. Um, You know, the other thing is that from a clinical perspective, we tend to use glycine uh, as helping with sleep, anxiety, and I think like this kind of like type A personality sort of uh, concern over work, over stress. I'm just saying you might consider glycine at some point, but um, <laughs> the uh, it, because of the way that it works on NMDA receptors and has a glutamate uh, antagonist, so that is really really important as well, and that's why it works for those conditions and for overall sleep quality. It's great, mm-hmm. and lastly. The thing I love about it is it tastes great. Oh, just because it's sugary? It tastes Glycine. sugary. Yeah, it tastes sweet. Got it. it. has a sweet taste to it. So from a clinical perspective, it's really nice intervention. You don't get a lot of pushback from a, a palate perspective. So, hmm. yeah. That's that a good fun? one. Yeah. That's How about you? Like What's your favorite one. amino acid? Well, I what comes to mind is taurine. Okay. And what, why it comes to mind is that a lot of people drink energy drinks. Sure. Right? So you think of Red Bull. Uh-huh. Red Bull has tons of taurine in it. It does. You think of taurine, taurus, like a bull. Yeah. That's where the name comes from. Oh. Yeah. So it's not only an energy drink. How but clever. I know, right? Some people, you probably didn't even know that. I did You're not know that. just drinking taurine drinks. But I'm not. I know. That, but, but really, it's also in other things like dairy and turkey and shellfish, blah, blah, blah. But it's important in so many important metabolic processes. It's helpful in the brain, kind of similar to what you're talking about. It can also be calming. It's also profoundly beneficial in cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of research out there about it being helpful for ischemic reperfusion. It's yeah. also a, it's, it's helpful in bile acid mm-hmm. um, conjugation, deconjugation in the liver. It's also important in your eyes. Yeah. So they, they often put it in breast milk supplementations for babies because babies don't have enough of it and they're trying to develop their retina and such. Uh-huh. So Tori's just got a lot of really interesting things. Plus, it's kind of quirky and it's in Red Bull. I like that. Taurus, yeah. I like that. I like that it has all these different aspects with respect to cardiovascular disease, like mm-hmm. you said, the health of the eyes. Right. Um, but then it also plays a role in energy and energy maintenance. That's right. So that's uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I like that one too. Does it taste good? Oh, depends on how you're drinking it. Maybe you don't like Red Bull. Maybe you like turkey instead or shellfish. <laughs> in which case, yep. <laughs> Most people don't supplement taurine because you could just get it in so many places. Right. And not that we're necessarily endorsing the energy drink perspective. That's of that. right. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Okay. I just want to make sure that. <laughs> well, we have just hit a smattering of some of these amino acids, but in essence, True. we've only just scratched the surface because there's 20 plus. Two. 22. <laughs> what are the secret hidden ones? You all never right. Tell me. All right. All right. And so first and foremost... You know, we know that there's essentials, there's not essentials, there's conditional, there's limiting. What in the world are you talking about of two hidden, quote unquote, okay. secretive There is a, a, meta- a compound okay. referred to as selenocysteine that is considered the 21st amino acid. Hmm. And then there's the 22nd amino acid, which is pyrrolysine. Wow. And so those uh, are uh, considered non-essentials. But uh, they are they because of their structure, 
they're very, very similar to amino acids and are therefore being called these sort of uh, additional amino acids, which is interesting. Yeah. And you think about, you know, we just hit on a couple and we showed you how significant they are and how important they are in a lot of biological processes. And and you and I started this episode by talking about how important protein intake is. Yeah. And we talked about how a lot of people are a little bit more insufficient than they thought. Yeah. Which makes the question then, well, if everyone's got a little bit of insufficiency, how are we going to know where we should be concerned when we know that these feed specific processes? You said question. Does that mean that's the question of the day? No, this is just a question in general. Oh, Oh, well, I think a good way to go about doing that is to just test. You can test for amino acids and see whether somebody actually has amino acid sufficiency or whether there's an imbalance there or whether they need some support. So that would be, uh, I think, a nice scientific method uh, for determining amino acid sufficiency and whether somebody's getting enough in their diet. Well, what are some of the ways we test amino acids here? What are some of the profiles that you can find amino acids yeah, on? Yeah, so I think about the NutriVal profile, mm-hmm. the Metabolomics Plus profile. There's also amino acid standalone profiles, and you can get those uh, on the NutriVal. You can look at amino acids either in the plasma mm-hmm. or first morning void, depending on what uh, what you're angling for, what you're interested in looking at. Yeah, so if you want to answer these questions definitively, get the tests. Yeah. And if you want to hear the jingle, then submit a question of the day Uh because we got one coming up right now. Do we? I shortened that. <laughs> that wasn't short. Yeah, no. You, you, you have upped your game, though, I in the shortened. jingle department. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, thanks to GarageBand and all the <laughs> f- ridiculous plugins that they have that sort of sound well, like actual plugins, but not really. Well, it works. Well, the question of the day is this, Michael Chapman. Uh, often when we are reviewing results, uh-huh. we don't really pick out one or two amino acids. We're looking at the patterns. Yeah. And so when I see... Amino acids all following a particular, particular particular pattern. We ascribe specific meanings to it. So what does it mean when most of them are really, really high? And then alternatively, what does it mean when most of them are really, really low? Uh, when they're really, really high, usually that's going to indicate a high-protein diet because somebody's doing something uh, to where they're just, uh, yeah, they're consuming more protein and it's showing up in the plasma. It's It's could be coming from catabolism, but less likely. I think if the body's in a catabolic state, you're not going to see free form, free amino acids floating around at a higher clip in the in the plasma or in the serum. Uh, so I tend to think high intake, high protein intake, with them all being high, with them all being low. Um, similar, you could think it could be protein deficiency. It could be somebody's just not mm-hmm. eating enough protein. Um, and I tend to wonder a little bit about what the quality of the diet is that could be contributing to that. And from there, I look at the dietary peptide-related markers to give me more insight. Um, So the way dietary peptide-related markers work is those tell me about how what, what type of diet somebody's consuming, and specifically if they have a diet that's higher in animal products because these are breakdown products of animal foods. Mm-hmm. So... I can look at that, and if I see that those dietary peptide markers are low, then they probably don't have a very high intake of animal foods, and that might be part of what's contributing to 
the uh, the actual low levels of the amino acids themselves. Well, what about when the dietary peptides are high, but the amino acids are low? It's a great question. So that tends to be more suspicious around maldigestion or malabsorption of the protein because we're seeing the uh, the actual animal intake show up with that mm-hmm. dietary peptide-related marker be high, but still low amino acids makes me wonder. They haven't broken those animal proteins down fully into their component amino acids. Yeah. And that's why the amino yeah. acids are still low. Mm-hmm. So you could think about digestive enzyme support, HCL support, stuff like that. Or stool profile. Yeah, run a, run a gut get, test. Yeah, just to kind of get a feel. The other thing I think about sometimes with patterns of low and high is that there are vitamin and minerals needed to utilize some of these things peripherally. So that can also contribute sometimes. Yeah, and the pattern I tend to think about there is when the essential amino acids look normal, but the non-essentials mm, start yeah. to look a little bit low. Right. Because remember, you convert the essentials into non-essentials, and that requires cofactors. So that might be one thing I'm looking for. Awesome. Thank you. Welcome. Why don't you say you're welcome? It's more efficient to just say welcome. Oh. Plus, I'm not really sure what you're welcome means anyway. I never thought about that, actually. Next time on The Lab Report, Drew Manning. Super famous guy from Fit to Fat to Fit. And now, Fit to Fat to 40. Wait, what? We'll ask him about it. What? Yeah. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You ever had parsnips? Probably. Probably. Not on purpose. What? I'm sure it's been in things. You like, have go to a restaurant, not even heard. Parsnips. Yeah, You're judging the parsnip and you've no, never even had one. I've never actively sought one out, I guess is the best way to say that. Why are you hating on the parsnip? I'm not. You've never I'm even sought one out. which is actually worse. They're actually pretty yummy. Okay. You should try one. I probably have. <laughs>